With sports car racing news and analysis from around the globe, this is the Double Stint Podcast. Here's John DeGeese, Dan Lloyd, and Jake Kilshaw. Welcome into the final special Double Stint at Lamar episode following this year's 24 Hours of Lamar. I'm John DeGeese, joined by Daniel Lloyd and Jake Kilshaw once again following an exhausting and enthralling 87th edition of the French Endurance Classic. Guys, lots to cover, lots to break down, um, but I guess the headline coming from this weekend again is probably as expected. Um, Toyota wins Le Mans, but it was in a bit of an unconventional way, in, uh, particularly in the last hour. It, uh, some, there was some drama that definitely shook things up with the number eight car of um, Sebastian Buemi, um, Kaz Nakajima, and Fernando Alonso taking the victory following a puncture for the sister car that was leading for very much of the race. Dan, it sort of seemed to catch us off guard you know I, I had my race report already written saying the number seven wins and number eight takes the the championship and then it all sort of went upside down in the last hour yeah so toyota ended up winning uh, but in the most dramatic fashion um the final hour in the final hour it was decided um kazuki nakajima was uh circulating a couple of minutes behind Jose Maria Lopez in the leading number seven Toyota. Um, but then it all went wrong for the seven crew. And, and it was it was a strange scenario. It was almost, uh, it's uh, initially it seemed to be a, a case of complacency from the Toyota team. But in the end, it emerged that, uh, that an incorrect sensor reading, or that's that's what the explanation we've been given by uh, Toyota's technical boss, Pascal Vassalon, um, contributed to the team making two unscheduled stops at the top of the final hour. Uh, which basically completely eradicated that two-minute gap and uh, Nakajima was able to sail through um, unchallenged and go on to take the victory and, and secure the championship in the process. But um, yeah, it was a strange one. So essentially what happened uh, from our understanding is that Toyota uh, pitted Lopez with, with, with the understanding that there was a puncture on the car. Uh, Toyota had a reading saying that it was on the front right corner of the car. Um, we spoke to Vassalon afterwards and he said that uh, actually that reading was incorrect the, it was for another tyre we believe it was the left rear um, we, we've heard otherwise that it might have been the right rear but that's what Vassalon told us so we'll go with the left rear for now we, we can always change that but then Lopez had to go back out because they'd fitted the wrong tyre, essentially. They'd fitted a tyre that wasn't deflating. So he came around, crawling around on his lap, and uh, came back. They, they fitted the new tyre. Um, it, was, it was quite hard to see because I think Toyota put all four tyres on at that second stop. Um, but they, uh, they solved the problem, uh, but by that point it was too late. Lopez uh, was too far down to, to come back. He, he did manage to bridge some of the gap, but uh, yeah, Toyota number eight crew goes on to win Le Mans, and uh, yeah, that's that's a real kick in the teeth for the seven crew because they had such a good run. Yeah, in the post-race press conference, um, Kazuki Nakajima said it was really hard to believe you know, what happened to the number seven car as he was in the eight car um, passing it on track uh, in, in route to the finish. Uh, it was a tough race uh, for everyone, to be honest. Uh, yeah, well, happened to car seven is incredible and uh, it's uh, hard to believe and uh, to be honest it's very sad as well but uh, we fought hard uh, together with my teammate and the uh, team crew so everybody did uh, their, their job and uh, yeah winner was decided by yeah something else uh, nothing to do with our performance or whatever so it was just pure luck so it's very tough race but uh 
we experienced this kind of thing in the past as well. So, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say to be honest. While it was a real show of dominance by Toyota, I, I think that didn't come as a surprise by anybody. Um, although the winning margin, I personally, Jake, I was a bit surprised. Um, okay, the, the the official margin was 16 seconds between the number 8 and 7 car, but the best non-hybrid was a number 11 SMP Racing BR Engineering entry of Vitaly Petrov, Mikhail Lation, and Stoffel Vandorn, and they finished six laps behind. I think last year the margin was close to 10 or 11 laps. Um, do you think cautions played into this? Do you think the, the pace of the LMP1 non-hybrids, you know, maybe some increased pace this year, what do you think were some of the factors that sort of made this a, a tad bit of a closer race than what we've seen in the previous year. I think for cautions, that probably affected the GTE ranks a bit more than prototypes. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, I think to answer your question, John, the reason for the gap being a bit smaller is just the, the fact that the non-hybrids, especially the Rebellion and the SMP cars, have come a really long way in 12 months. And I must say, you know, the work that those uh, the guys at BR Engineering and SMP Racing have done to bring their car on, especially in reliability more than anything else since this time 12 months ago, has been really impressive because that um, that car that finished third place didn't really have any major issues, I don't think, during, during the race. The other one did have a few, um, but to get a fairly solid run and um, get a good result for that car is, is really good for that team and for BR Engineering. It seemed like a big victory for that team. Unfortunately, the number 17 car had a crash with Igor Arutchev overnight, but um, like you said, Jake, this, the 11, as far as we know, had a pretty trouble-free race, and that team was celebrating like a victory um, post-race. We saw the Rebellion cow somehow make its way into the team's paddock. Um, <laughs> a sight to be seen. We, we, we uh, Hard to explain, but um, moving on to LMP2, it was an equally dominant effort, I'd have to say, at least in the second half of the race for Signatech Alpine. Um, they scored their second consecutive class victory, first on the road, per se, after G-Drive's exclusion last year. And ironically, that was the team they were battling with for, for very much of the race. Um, Nico Lapierre gets his fourth LMP2 class victory, stays undefeated at Le Mans in the class, joined by Andre Negrau and Pierre Thierrier in the, the Signatech entry. Um, Jake, you were covering the LMP2 battle at the, in the closing stages. It almost looked like that car was on cruise control um, once the G-Drive car had hit their starter motor issues. Yeah, it was an interesting race, that. Um, and the two cars that were leading for most of the race were, as you you said, John, the Signatech Alpine and the G-Drive car, which were the two main protagonists in last year's race, interestingly enough. Um, Alpine had a really strong run in the second half of the race. They inherited the lead at around nine in the morning, so about six hours to go when the G-Drive car came into the pits for around 20 minutes with that issue. And since then onwards, they just had a pretty much a perfect run. They didn't have any issues. They kept a healthy lead at the front of the field, uh, cycled through their drivers, all three of whom put, um, put in a really good set of stints. And yeah, just uh, I think a testament to the quality of that team. They really know how to put on a good performance and how to um, have a solid run to the line. Yeah, the Signatech car taking a one-lap victory over the number 38 Jackie Chan DC Racing entry, which was locked into a championship battle um, between those two cars for the FIA World Endurance Championship in LMP2. That was actually the tightest points race going into the weekend. Uh, a win secured the title for Signatech. And speaking to Nico Lapierre post-race, he admitted that once G-Drive sort of um, fell out of contention, they were a bit alone on the track. 
We knew we had two targets this weekend and it was hard to manage the two of them in the same time but uh, especially at the beginning of the race when we started and we f were fighting with the G-Drive we were like, does it worth it to go for it and potentially lose the championship but then in the end the car was good, the team was really strong so we thought let's go and then we will see where it brings us and um, it was a really close battle, very nice, I, I really enjoyed it a lot I have to say then we were screwed by two safety car in a row. We put us back in two minutes behind, but um, we kept kept fighting. And in the end, they had the, the, the trouble. And after this, he was feeling a bit like we were alone there, and it was a bit hard to manage, you know, because we were pushing, pushing, and then we just had to finish the race to for our two targets. But uh, no, in the end, we made it. It was long in the end. It was very long, but uh, the car was good. The teammates, no mistake. So. So, yeah, very happy and, and proud to get the two titles today. Interesting words from Nico, for sure, and uh, pretty amazing that he's remained undefeated in LMP2 competition at Le Mans. Um, one of the interesting things that I saw, Dan, was the number of LMP2 cars that finished. 16 out of the 20 were classified at the end of the race, and, and I, I think that might be a new record in itself. Um, you know, I know these Orica chassis and, and Ligiers are tried and trusted machinery now, but we didn't really have a lot of accidents through the race and, and also had some strong runs from some other cars cars too what was your take yeah i'd have to agree with you there i mean lmp2 obviously we we do have some lineups that uh might 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 be questionable in terms of the true pro-am spirit i'm sure some people will, will, will appreciate that but certainly there are quite a few am bronze drivers in there as well and i think generally the driving standard in lmp2 was was top quality all around um there, there were several teams with with bronze drivers that, that managed to finish and finish in decent positions you've got the uh, tds racing orica which uh, came in third with francois perodo Matthew Vaxivier and Loic Duval. I, I thought they had a great run. Perodo, especially, he, he didn't really put a foot wrong on his on his uh, uh, bronze stints there. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's also testament to the to the manufacturing of these cars. They they're obviously uh, drivable for not just the pros but the AMs, and, and and they were just able to run their own race and keep out of the way generally of accidents. Um, so so that was that was pretty impressive from from my take. Also, it was quite interesting to see how the the tire war went. Like, this is really the only class in the field with such a battle uh, Michelin came out on top with the Signitec crew interestingly they switched mid-season so they ran last year's Le Mans on Dunlops um, said that they were lacking a bit of pace in the night but obviously that didn't prove to be a problem on the Michelins this year I, I think Signitec uh, arguably even stronger this year but the Dunlop crews also did well um, the number 38 Jackie Chan DC racing car of Hoping Tung Stefan Raquelmi and Gabriel Aubrey uh, chasing them all the way um, Perhaps didn't have the overall outright pace and, and not just on track, but in pit stops. But they, they were certainly always there as well. And, and TDS on Dunlops too. So, uh, yeah, a really interesting LMP2 battle. And it, it certainly was one that uh, we, we we didn't take our eyes off throughout the race. Yeah, but I think the class that had the most intense race from flag to flag had to be GTE Pro. Um, it lived up to his expectation, in my opinion. AF Corsa getting the victory. First Ferrari win in GTE Pro since 2014. 14 with Alessandro Perguidi, James Collado, and Daniel Serra picking up honors ahead of the pair of um, Porsches um, led by the number 91 Manthai car ahead of one of the core Autosport entered entries. Um, we had a lot of attrition 
there early on as well. Some accidents um, from Corvette, from Aston Martin. Uh, Dan, what was your take on, on the class and, and did it live up to your expectations? The first half certainly did. The, the first half of the race was, in my opinion, some of the best racing I've seen in the GT classes at Le Mans. You just had trains of equally matched machinery that had obviously been balanced to a fine T. Um, regardless of any post-qualifying adjustments we may have had, there, there seemed to be a really good balance there. Um, and people were chopping and changing directions. Uh, I saw a few people posting screenshots on Twitter of some of the uh, some of the battles, and, and you could fit you, you could fit like five cars behind one car and barely barely see them. They were all just stacked up behind each other. Uh, it was amazing to watch, really. And I, I think um, that that played well to the TV coverage. We had quite a lot of TV coverage of the GTE Pro battle, and, and I think it deserved to be there. Um, things did change though as the strategies played out, as as we had some incidents and uh, we we got to test the new the sort of the new regulations regarding uh, safety cars and full course yellows. I think the the ACO was hoping to use more full course yellows this year. At least that's what it said it was going to try and Im implement them. We ended up having eight safety cars in total. Um, based on what I've heard from people post race, they thought that the safety cars were all um, chosen correctly um, on, on grounds of safety, and, and it's hard to argue there. But it did shake up the order again. The Le Mans has a, a unique three safety car system, and on a couple of occasions, we had some cars get caught behind one safety car while the others, or even two safety cars, while their rivals were caught by the safety car ahead, and, and that created you know minute plus gaps in the order. Um, I think the most notable one was in the 10th hour when the 51 Ferrari, which James Collado, Alessandro Pierguidi and Daniel Serra ultimately steered to victory and the 92 Porsche, they 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 weren't too far ahead of the field, but they had, they ended up having a massive lead um, after that. And for the Ferrari, at least, that ended up really guiding it to the to the race win um yeah the, the gaps behind uh, chopped and changed the 63 corvette came back i think that that it also had some help through slow zones and other procedures um but yeah i think that um certainly some of the sporting procedures that we saw in place did dictate the gte pro class battle again perhaps not as much as last year um but i have to say that the uh, the all-out fight that we were hoping for right until the end didn't necessarily manifest but um nonetheless a great performance from those Ferrari guys. Absolutely. And, and James Collado told us post-race that they felt that they were quickest just because of the strategy they played and, and potentially also the, the way the full course yellow safety car procedure unfolded. One of the most, it was one of the most closest races ever. I think um, everyone had misfortune. Everyone had luck. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we were the quickest. We got the strategy better than the others. And I think, uh, you know, that, that showed, especially towards the end, we were, we were quite dominant, leading the majority of the race. However, you know, Porsche... Uh, put on a strong fight. They they showed uh, that they were really quick towards the end of the race, and obviously uh, we Corvette had a bit of misfortune, so that would have been a bit more difficult. But at the end of the day, um, I came into this race with the approach that we needed to look after the car more than anything, and that's what we did, and um, it paid off. And we could also look at the manufacturers that didn't do so well. Um, Corvette had a real up-and-down day with a 64 car crashing out hard in the hands of Marcel Fassler. Ironically, he was given, um, he was basically 
taken um, at fault for the accident with the number 88 Proton Porsche, um, given some behavioral warning points and a $7,000 euro fine. Um, We also had accidents from the 95 Aston um, and the 63 Corvette, which fought its way back up the field, had some mechanical issues post-race, issues for a a few of uh, one of the BMWs, too. Were you surprised by the the rate of attrition in in this race, Dan? Uh, Not necessarily. I mean, it it is Le Mans, and you've got to expect that from Le Mans. And with 17 GT Pro cars going hammer and tongs for the whole thing, you're, you're going to get people maybe overstepping the limit or, or making a decision the wrong way, and, and it doesn't pay off, and, and it, or in traffic, and that, that's what happened on a few occasions. Uh, as you said, yeah, Corvette had what, what a weekend they've had. I mean, they must they must be so tired. The guys, the Pratt Miller team over there, um, the the 64 cars race ended early, but the 63 had such a dogged fight, um, exchanging places with the 51 Ferrari on Sunday morning. They really look like they're in a position to win it. To be honest, I mean. Uh, Jan Magnussen, Antonio Garcia, Mike Rockenfeller. What a trio. They've they've consistently performed in these long-distance races, not just over in North America, but coming over to Le Mans against the uh, WEC regulars. Um, but uh, another manufacturer to have a really tough, an, an even tougher weekend was Aston Martin. That was... Um, it, it was it was quite tough to see actually because the the, the Astons both uh, crashed within quite quick succession twenty minutes of each other uh, in the night just just before midnight. Um, Alex Lynn spun around in the Porsche curves. They got the 97 going again, that car, but it, it, the repairs set it back too much. Uh, but then the 95 had an even bigger off at the Indianapolis kink. Uh, spoken to a, a few guys from Aston, and fortunately, Marco Sorensen, despite a bit of bruising to, to his foot, we understand he, he, he was able to walk away. He went to hospital for a checkup, but he's okay, according to the guys from Aston there. But um, yeah, the, I think Aston and uh, BMW, which also struggled actually with a few incidents. Uh, and uh, suspension issues probably thought they could have made more out of this uh, race 12 months after the debut of their uh, new cars. Yeah, I agree. And also um, of note, the number 92 Porsche of Michael Christensen, Kevin Estra and Lawrence Vanthor finished 10th in class. That was enough for Estra and Christensen to claim the GTE, GT World Manufacturers Cha- Drivers Championship. Um, the Porsche and Manthai had locked up their respective titles in the previous race at Spa, um, but they had an up and down day as well encountering an exhaust issue um, uh, early, um, about mid-race and set them back. I, I spoke to Kevin Estra post-race, and he sort of admitted that they really could have put a fight up to AF course as they were leading at the time. So a lot of coulda, shoulda, wouldas, no doubt, in GTE Pro. And um, congratulations again to the AF Corsa trio. Finally, let's get to GTE Am, and it was a a bit of a, a drama-filled final couple hours in that class as well, with Keating Motorsports coming out on top. Ben Keating, Jerome Bleakamolen, and Felipe Fraga in the debut of the uh, Ford GT in GTE Am, the first customer entry um, for that car, getting the win after a rather dominant race. But it all started to unravel a bit in the closing hours. Um, Jake, can you walk us through what was going on in, with, with the Keating car? Yeah, it was an interesting tale with that car, to be honest, in the last couple of hours so it transpired that the car had been told to come into the pits by the ACO for a change of its front nose piece um, I don't think we really knew at the time that it had been told to come in I think they, we, we just assumed that they'd chosen to make repairs because that car had been carrying damage on the front end for, for hours on end um, and interestingly and I think this, this really sort of uh, piqued your attention at one point John um, we saw on the TV screens the, the pit stop and 
that nose change was carried out by the Chip Ganassi factory Ford crew from GT Pro. Those guys instead of the Keating Motorsports guys, which are basically the Riley Motorsports crew. Um, that was purely just, you know, um, more experience with a the car. They know what they're doing uh, a bit more than the Riley guys. Um, get it get it out quicker and make sure we can stay in the lead. And we did. Um, I think we came out of the pit something like eight seconds ahead of the Project One Porsche. So a great decision by, by those guys really to choose the uh, Ganassi uh, crew. Worked out really well for them and they managed to stay out front for the rest of the race. Yeah, a late pit stop by the number 56 Project 1 Porsche of York Bergmeister for a, a splash and dash. Basically a race to any chance of victory for them, but their second place finish is enough to claim the GTE Drivers' Championship for Bergmeister, um, Guido Perfetti, and Patrick Lindsay. Um, they, headed in, they headed into the weekend with a, a pretty sizable lead, I think 23 points. So I think they needed like a top five or six finish. Um, they were running a pretty conservative race, I think, early on, but saw that they were in contention later on and um and ended up with a podium finish with the number 84 jmw motorsport ferrari completing the podium but for the keating guys they were all extremely excited post-race I, I i'd have to say it was a dominant run by this team um they might have may have not shown their full strength earlier in the weekend um definitely you know the the results in practice and qualifying didn't put up to what they have in the race um so maybe a little bit of strategy played there they also had a 10 kilo weight break which could have made things a little bit different as well but as ben keating told us post-race um it was it was an unbelievable result and he felt that he pulled a lot of his own weight after having to to go through a, an intense battle with York Bergmeister. I get out on track and, uh, you know, Bill comes on the radio and says, uh, all, good, but all good, Ben, we, we've still got a chance at this. I'm like, what in the hell does that mean? Uh, and, uh, and he said that, uh, you know, Jörg is five seconds behind you and, uh, and you've got three laps before you pit. Yeah. And, uh, and my response was, do I have to keep saving fuel? Uh, and he said, no, burn all the fuel you can. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I dialed it into, you know, we were in fuel save mode. I dialed it into the, uh, uh, the most power, uh, uh, the most fuel burning mode we could do. Uh, you know, turned off the air conditioning, turned off the alternator, you know, every little thing I could do. Uh, to gain, you know, uh, half a horsepower. You'll be able to listen to the full interview with Ben um, on our double stint, our regular weekly double stint podcast that should be published on Tuesday, hosted by Ryan Marine. I'll be joining him to uh, break down Lama and, more importantly, the news of the week in sports car racing. So be sure to tune back into our regular um, scheduled episode of Double Stint um, that will air on Tuesday. So finally, guys, parting thoughts from from Lama. Uh, you know, we could probably couldn't say this is another classic of a race. I, I think sitting here one year ago, we were all sort of a bit left a bit disappointed by how things were with the hybrid non hybrid battle. Um, this time around, I think we all sort of expected the results. Yet, I, I personally, I, I think it, it, the, the race turned out a little better than than I expected. What what what, what was your thought? What was your thoughts, Dan? I was really encouraged by what we saw. I think the, the balancing acts. There's no. I think it's been no secret that the balancing act in LMP1 has proven nigh on impossible to to get get things at a level where we can have non-hybrids and hybrids. Uh, 
consistently lapping on 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 the same on the same sequence and uh, and finishing the line within within yards of each other i just think that's that's too hard to achieve but considering all of those circumstances that they've got to play against i think the the organizers have done a really good job at balancing um balancing the cars for le mans uh, let's not forget that these lmp1 non-hybrids have been lapping quicker than any non-hybrids have ever lap, ever lapped at le mans that's including factory cars these are probably some of the quickest cars that have ever lapped at Le Mans. Um, and they're just incredible pieces of kit run by top-notch outfits. And, uh, and while Toyota may run off and win by a handful of laps, let's not forget that these, these amazing cars are running just, uh, just shortly behind them. But no, I, I thought it was, it was a good Le Mans. I, I felt a lot more positive about this one than last year, actually. I think last year, um, the, 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 just the sheer gap between, between the leaders, the 12-lap gap between the leaders and the non-hybrids was um, tough, tough for many people to sort of accept, really, that the, the biggest race in the world can, can only boil down to one manufacturer, whereas now I, I felt like there was much more competition, um, not just in the top category, but in GTE as well. I thought the balance there was fantastic. So, um, yeah, loads of fans, great weather, didn't rain. That was a, that was a plus. Um, so yeah, I think it's an encouraging sign going into the uh, the next stage of the WEC's journey, which is the first two calendar year season. Um, effectively, only starting next month with the prologue. Yeah, definitely a lot to look forward to. Uh, Jake, your parting thoughts? Yeah, to add to what Dan just said, I think um, you know, looking at looking at the LMP1 battle. The Toyotas, as we saw, were, for the most part, very reliable and a lot more reliable than Toyotas were a couple of years ago. Um, but it would have only taken a, a fairly minor issue, put them into the garage for a couple of laps, and we would have actually had a, a, a very real chance of an SMP or Rebellion car um, winning if, if things had gone only a little bit differently. So I think the field isn't as split up as we might think it is. I think it's just the fact that the Toyotas were so reliable for the most part uh, that made it look a bit more um, split up than it actually realistically could have been. Um, elsewhere in the field, a fantastic battle in, in LMP2. As we said, it was a very dom dominant run, but it was nice to see so many other teams doing well and a very, as we said, reliable field in that class. Um, GT Pro, you know, Dan, Dan, Dan's already touched on it. The, the, the racing at the front of that field in the first few hours of the race was just absolutely incredible. Some of the best racing I've seen at Le Mans in, in a long time. And some really nice storylines. The storyline with the Keaton car in, in, in GTM is very good as well. So while it wasn't the most competitive, the most historic and memorable Le Mans we've had in, in the last few years. It's nice to see so many great storylines coming out of it. Yeah, I agree too. Well, that's going to do it for our double stint at Le Mans specials. Um, it's been an incredible week here in Le Mans. We hope you've enjoyed our coverage both on the podcast and on, our, on the website. Um, had a lot of stories, lots of content still to come, actually. We've um, spoke to a lot of people post-race, so be sure to check out sportscar365.com in the coming days. Also, a proper double stint episode with Ryan Marine will be coming up on Tuesday. Um, but for Dan and Jake, who are headed to Nürburgring, um, safe travels. They're going to be anchoring our coverage there from the Nürburgring 24 this coming weekend. And uh, I'm off to back home to, to rest up before the stretch of the IMSA races uh, kicks off with the six hours of the Glen later this month. So for Dan, for Jake, I'm John, signing out from Le Mans.